Hello, my name is Ray Ezel, and I'd like to welcome you guys to the Outside Looking In podcast. And on today's show, I have Mr. Ron Brown, state president of the Indiana affiliate for the NFB, also second vice president for the National Federation of the Blind, entrepreneur, mobility instructor, and the list goes on. So, Ron Brown, I want to welcome to the Outside Looking In podcast, sir. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, Ron, I wanted to really bring you on the show because um, the purpose of the podcast is really to inform people who may think they know about a person until they really get to actually talk to that person. And Ron, you do a lot of things and you do these things without sight. So I really wanted to emphasize all of the things that you do and how you're able to do all the things you do and what got you you know, affiliated with the NFB, being an entrepreneur, business owner, and just an overall mentor, you know, for a lot of individuals here in the state of Indiana who are blind and visually impaired. So, um, so Ron, how long have you actually, um, how long have you been blind yourself, sir? Um, well, I lost my sight, let's see, in, um, in uh, September of uh, 1973. So I've been blind over 40 years now, Ray. Okay. Uh, wow, it just don't seem like it's been that long, but I was 17 years old when I lost my sight a senior in high school. Wow. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Ron, and then Ron, you actually, you're from Gary, Indiana, correct? That's correct. All right, so you, you, we got that similarity right there. And actually, uh, we both yeah. lost our sight at 17 years old. And we That's incredible. To a gunshot wound. That's right. That's incredible. Yes, yeah, sir. So. <laughs> so we got a lot of similarities, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So well, how, was it, how was it like growing up, you know, before you lost your sight? How was it, you know, growing up in Gary? You know, Ray, um, I, I was thinking about that not too long ago. Uh, but one of the things that I had a really good childhood, I had mom and father who, who stressed education with us. I, I, I'm, a, uh, I'm the oldest son of, uh, see, eight kids. My, mo- uh, my mom had um, and dad had uh, five girls and three sons, and I'm the oldest son um, of the family. So growing up was, uh, you know, really kind of exciting and fun in my household because it was always people around and always something to do. And yet they got on your nerves, but you know, it was always fun to do. And I was always involved in sports. Uh, I can tell you that I, I love sports. Um, love playing basketball uh, in the summertime intramural games. And I loved um, <clears throat> baseball, playing little league growing up. And, and then playing uh, football, playing tackle football in the street, even. <laughs> yeah. So we were just rough and tough, you know, and tumbles. And uh, that's what we did uh, in my neighborhood. Everybody that got a game of football together or baseball or playing some basketball. We, we just love sports. So what, so, what yeah. part of uh, the West Side did you come up on? I came up on the West Side of Gary in the area called Concord. Uh, and it was around oh 19th and Matthews uh, up around that area, and and uh, I actually uh, grew up uh, uh, when I started my um, my high school years. I won't take you all the way back to elementary because I went to a lot of schools in elementary. But in high school, I started out at Gary Westside High. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gary Westside. Yeah, I know all about the mm-hmm. Westside <laughs> Cougars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were the Westside Cougars. That's right. Yeah. So, and then, say, go ahead. No, I was just saying. And then, um, well, I just I, after my accident, then I had to transfer schools because mm-hmm. Gary Westside didn't have the uh, the. Um, Oh, what do they call it? The uh, resource room and accommodations for the blind. They did not have them there. So I started high school, uh, my senior year uh, at Gary West as a as a sighted person. And then by January, 
uh, I went back to school as a blind person at Lou Wallace High School. So, so was your accident just a random act of violence, you know, that happened unexpectedly? Yeah, it was, it was, it was weird because uh, me and some of the guys were cutting across a path and we were almost to my house coming home from school that day. We were almost to my house and, um, and we, you know, how you cut across a path yeah. instead of walking all the way around, we cut through this field and we were laughing and talking to each other and stuff. And I looked over my shoulder at this one guy. I said, so what did you say, Danny? And when I looked back over my shoulder, I heard this boom. Mm -hmm. And out of the corner of my eye, it looked like somebody took my picture. It was like a camera flash. But I could see like this, this fire coming at me, but I couldn't duck. And so it was a shotgun blast. Mm -hmm. And so it hit me directly in the face or the side of the face and then it, and the rest of the guys got uh, hit but the pellets went mostly in my face and then their their arms and legs and stuff like that but I got the brunt of the blast uh, yeah. and uh changed my life forever <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I understand so so, yeah. so you said you couldn't go back to west side after that so how long did it take you to recover and you know you know get back to where you wanted to go to school well, and that was the thing, uh, Ray. I um, let's see. So that was in the fall. School, my senior year had just started, and um, uh, let's see, it was September. So my senior year just started. By the time I went back to school, it was January, and I was going back to school as a totally blind person. So I had to literally just make the adjustment. Well, first, get out of the hospital. Right, <laughs> Thank right, God right. for allowed me to still be here yes. and then um, and then uh, make the adjustment to blindness uh, going to a brand new school going to this school in a unfamiliar area of town because I went to Lou Wallace High School where they had the resource room for the blind over there and not only was it an unfamiliar area of town but it was an unfamiliar disability. No one in my family had ever been blind or visually impaired. So all of this was brand new to me. And so the superintendent of school said to my mother that if, um, if he can pass all of his senior classes, government and econ, all the senior classes that you take, plus um, take all the classes in the resource room where you had to learn touch typing, braille, all of that down in the resource room. If he could do all of that, I'll let him graduate with his, with his class in 74, um, uh, May, um, uh, of that year. I think it was in May or June. So I had to, I didn't really have time to feel sorry for myself. Ray. I wanted to graduate with my senior year in 74, come out on time. So I picked up my bootstraps and I, I got busy and um, I didn't know Braille. I didn't know uh, cane travel. I didn't know anything that blind and visually impaired people do knew. What I did have, though, was one, a praying mother. And two, she was my reader. And three, she was the one that introduced me to a cane. And it wasn't the type of cane that you that we use today, right? It was a little black cane that, yeah. that people carry when they're dressed up in tuxedos. And she borrowed that from my best friend. So let me bring that cane down here. And she said to me, Ron, I said, Mom, how am I going to school? How am I going to get around? How I can't, I don't know anything about blind. I might fall in a hole. She borrowed that cane. She stuck it out to me. She said, here, use this. And if you get lost, just ask somebody. Well, if you fast forward with that lesson, that life lesson 40 years ago to now, that's how I teach cane travel. Now we can get into that later. Yeah, yeah so. we're definitely going to get into that. So did you, you know, I know there's an adjustment period. There's a lot of emotional period right there. But I know you said you didn't have time to really even dwell on that because you wanted to graduate. But you know, talk to me about just trying to adjust. And even then, I know at 17 myself, you know, being around people who are sighted and I'm used to being sighted and now I got to, you know, live in this whole new world. How would, how would you perceive and how would you treat it? One of the things that uh, 
it happened to me, Ray. I was laying in the hospital bed with my face bandaged all the way up uh, yeah. like a mummy. And I was angry at God. And I was th- talking to him and I was saying to him, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? Was I that bad of a person that you had to allow this to happen to me? I knew nothing about blindness and I knew nothing about this life experience and or this journey, if you will, that I was getting ready to embark on. And so as I'm laying in the bed, basically thinking about it to God and shaking my fist at a mad uh, at him for allowing this to happen to me, the Lord showed me uh, my life rate. And I talk about this sometimes in different presentations that I give, and I'll talk about it to your to your podcast listeners, and that is this. So I'm laying in the bed and, and at, 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 uh, in my hospital bed, and at seven and eight years old, God took me back to my life. And in at seven, eight years old, I used to read this book, and it was about this guy that was blind. And But he wasn't blind when the book first started off. Him and his friends were playing baseball. And then they, they end up, they, they uh, end up, uh, finding a pack of firecrackers. All of a sudden, the firecrackers blew up in his face, one of them, and he ended up going blind. So at seven and eight years old, I'm sitting on my porch reading this book to my buddies and stuff as a sighted child, and I was fascinated by this book. It was called Follow My Leader. And so it was um, it, it just fascinating, my favorite book at that age. Then God took me to a progression in my life where I was 13 to 14 years old, and I used to have this recurring dream. And in this dream, Ray, it was about all of me and my buddies lined up in a basement, and we were going round and around in a circle in a single file. And then we would file out and go file up the steps. Well, I kept going around with my hands out. And I'm like, wait on me, guys. I can't get out the basement. Wait on me. They file on up the steps and go on out. I kept going around. I will wake up in a cold sweat, Ray, and I will think, why did I dream that? What was that all about? And I didn't dream it all the time, but when I did, it scared me. And so then I was 16, almost 17 years old, my senior year, my last hour of the day in shop class. I was getting ready to go put up my safety goggles because the bell rang. And I went to reach for the cabinet and on the safety goggle cabinet was a poster. And this poster read, so this is what you see. And it showed all these kids in brightly colored clothes and, and they, were, um, they were laughing and playing. And then on the other half of the poster it read, and this is what a blind man sees. And it was pitch black. And then the caption read at the bottom, so wear your safety goggles. And Ray, I stood there looking at that poster from one side up to the other. This is what you see. This is what a blind man sees. So wear your safety goggles. And I left. The very next day, I was shot in the face and blinded. And so when when all of that comes streaming back to me as I'm laying in that hospital room with my, with my face bandaged, it was just like a revelation to me. God said, I never left you, Ron. I was always there through your whole life. I'm carrying you now. And the, and, 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 I, and the things that you're going to do and experience, I will always be with you. And I'm telling you, Ray, I have never had a problem with blindness after that. Never had a problem with blindness after that. So you went ahead and, you know, you graduated and was able to be successful and graduate with your class. So that's, that's definitely commendable. And I know just from experience, you know, learning Braille and learning how to, mobi- you know, walk around a school is draining. <laughs> I took that little black cane that my mom gave me. <laughs> she told me, you get lost, just ask somebody. I would be in the hall saying, excuse me, where's government and econ? Where? Oh, you go down here and you turn left and you go down to the next door down and there you go, you know, and so I would try to follow instructions the best I could, and uh, and then I would navigate through the school, and then I'd go down in the resource room and try to learn touch typing and braille. So after I graduated with my class, that's when I took formal instructions okay. of how to be a blind person. Okay. Yeah, talk to me about that, and that's very important, you know, to learn those mobility skills that you had to learn, you know, how to cook. Um, Braille and yeah. things of that daily nature. living skills and yeah. daily living skills and how to uh, 
how to properly use a, a, a long white cane that the blind use, mm-hmm. how to, yes. how to uh, uh, learn Braille. I learned all of Braille, uh, uh, grade one and grade two, uh, prior, before, prior to graduating. I didn't read fast, but I learned it all in the three months. When I went back to school as a senior in January as a totally blind person, I learned all of Braille. I learned how to navigate with that little black cane and I learned how to touch type. And then when I graduated in June, I went to Elkhart Rehabilitation Center and learned the proper techniques of Braille, cane travel, and daily living skills. That's when I took my formalized training. So once you got trained up, you were ready to you know, pursue your uh, collegiate career and then you started college, correct? Exactly. Yeah, that's what I did. Where did you go, Ball State? uh, Yes, I went to Ball State, uh, uh, did my undergrad work at Ball State University. And um, I I, uh, went there in 74, let's see, no, 75. I graduated in 74, took my formalized training for the rest of 74 after I graduated. So in 75, I started uh, my collegiate uh, career. And... um, and I, I went to Ball State from 75 to 79. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you also pledged there, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, I pledged the fraternity. I was the first blind uh, brother to pledge the fraternity at Ball State University. And it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And the brothers, uh, <laughs> they at first thought, you know, how are we going to pledge this guy? We got to right. pledge him differently than the other guys. And once they realized the kind of personality I had and I was on the yard and, right. and hanging out with my other buddies and stuff, and they were like, shoot, we ain't going to play this guy no different. He's just like one of us, you know, <laughs> they different. He can't see. And so uh, they pledged me the same way as the rest of my uh, brothers. And I, I, I went over in uh, uh, Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. I went over in 1977. Yeah. All right, y'all. A nuke right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's good. That's good because I just wanted to touch on that because you may have some people right now that may, you know, be hesitant or you just even thinking about pledging and like, well, how can I do it? And I know it can be done because I've seen you and others, you know, be successful at that. So that's definitely great. It's definitely great. So how did you uh, how did you get involved with the National Federation of the Blind? Well, I tell you, you know, Ray, and I have to take it back to when I first lost my sight, because in at 17 years old, I lost my sight. And I tell people this story all the time. At 17 years old, I lost my sight. At 18, I found the National Federation of the Blind. And that was fortunate for me because the National Federation of the Blind was the most progressive, uh, forward-thinking organization that I have ever been a part of. And the reason why I say that is because They thought like me. They used to say, you don't want to join that radical organization. They they got these outlandish beliefs that you can be independent and be whoever you want to be. and You can do all that. And I'm thinking, well, why can't I? You know, and and they were saying that blindness shouldn't have to be the thing that holds you back. Uh, Back then, they were saying that, you know, that it's respectable to be blind. And I'm thinking, well, what's wrong with that thinking? You know, why isn't it respectable to be blind? Why do I have to? you know, live my life uh, uh, as a hopeless and helpless person. You know, um, they were telling me that you, you, can, you can do whatever you want to do, Ron. Don't let blindness be the thing that holds you back. Yeah. And that message resonated with me. And so I'm thinking, well, why not? You know, why can't I? So the other thing that happened to me, too, is that our media past president, Dr. Mark Maurer, who was president of our organization for 28 years, he, at the time, was our state president in Indiana. And that was really fortunate for me because he took me under his wing and he told me, you know, that message I just talked about, about Mm -hmm. I can be whoever I wanted to be that was respectable to be blind. He taught me that message and I took it to heart, but I didn't take it to heart right away because what I did was I was on the campus of Ball State University and me and some other blind guys, and uh, he came down there to start a student division, and you know they were talking to us about it. But I was in denial of blindness, literally. So I'm using a cane around uh, 
uh, high school, right? And then I'm realizing that this can is defining who I am. Every time a young lady want to talk to me or something, they see this cane, they realize I'm blind, and they don't want to talk to me. They don't, you know, I, I had girlfriends, you know, growing up and, and when I was a sighted guy and, and playing uh, ball, I had, you know, you know, girlfriends. And so I didn't have any problem getting them. And so I was a sports guy. And so here it is. I, I go blind and now nobody wants to talk to me. It's like, here I am, the one that's blind, and they the ones that couldn't cope with it. So I'm like, what's wrong with this picture? You, right. you know? Right. And so, so yeah, I um I ended up uh trying to figure it out around campus. And me and this other blind brother named Paul Howard, and he told he we figured out a way that we could get around campus without using canes and stuff like that. So the girls wouldn't know we were blind. Right. And so that, and so that, you know, maybe they'll talk to us. But the funny thing about this whole message is that seemed like everybody on campus knew I was blind except me. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm walking around here in this car trying to pass. Yeah, I'm yeah. walking around trying to pass. So in order to pass, though, and without killing myself, right? I had to come up with this method and I would click my tongue and bounce sound off the walls. And so if the sound went all the way through, then I, that meant there was an opening there or a hallway there. It was something that was wide open. But if the sound died, that means it was something there. You know, I may not know what's there, but it's something there. And then so I, I used the clicking method, clicking my tongue. And then I was sliding my feet. So I would slide my feet, stand in contact with the ground, right? Uh -huh. And so as I'm walking, instead of walking off, stepping off a curve, I would slide off that curve, you know? And so I'm walking around. And so I gave up the cane because I got pretty good at this click and shuffle, you see? I'm clicking my tongue, sliding my feet, you know, and so I'm doing right. the click and shuffle all over the campus of Ball State University, oh, wow. and nobody knew I was blind, I thought, but me, you know, so I get into the, and, and I tell your listeners this story only because there's going to come a day when you, that click and shuffle ain't going to work for you so well, and that day came for me at the Cooper Science Building when I was walking down the hall and I had on my shades thinking I'm cool. And I, you know, I'm clicking my tongues and bouncing sound off walls. It seemed like it was, the hallway was wide open and I'm sliding my feet, standing in contact. So I wasn't stepping off no steps and then I'm bebopping down the hall doing the click and shuffle, right? Right, right. Until about a hundred yards down that hall, I didn't know, was students lining both sides of the hallway. So what there was a whole bunch of students on the right and there was a whole bunch of students on the left, but they were sitting down and they were reading, so they weren't making no noise. Right. So here I come, and I'm sure they looked up and saw me and thought, well, it's a, you know, this black guy coming down the hall, he must think he's cool, got on shades and everything. They didn't see no cane, so they didn't know I was blind. Right. So until I got to that first person, when I stepped on his legs and he screamed, ah, and I jumped to the left side of the hall, and pow, kicked this girl's books out of her hand, and she screamed. And on and on down the gauntlet of bodies, I'm in my wake. I'm leaving homework and everything everywhere, and I'm screaming, Whew, thank you, excuse me, oh, sorry, sir. And they screaming, I'm stepping on legs and jumping from one side of the hall to the other, and I mean, I made a mess. Yeah. And I turned around to make my apologies, right? Saying, I'm sorry, y'all, I'm sorry. And I started walking away. And this guy comes running down the hall, and I said, uh-oh, I'm going to get my butt kicked. And so he comes running down the hall, and he grabbed my shoulder, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, hey, buddy. I said, yeah. He said, that's some good stuff you're on. You're on some good stuff. And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I ain't high. I'm just blind. You know, see, then yeah. I wanted to be blind. Right, I right, ain't high. Right. I'm just blind. <laughs> I, but he thought I was high in a kite. You know, and so what I gained from that was what I put on my business cards. Now that, see, had I had my cane in my hand, uh, they would have known because it's an information stick as well as a mobility tool. And so 
as I'm walking down the hall, they could have made the adjustment. Hey, guys, here come a blind guy. Pull your legs in or something. They would have saw that cane, but I right. didn't have it. And right. so I, I said, you know, if you, you give a person an arm, they'll lead you around the block. You give a person a cane, it'll take you around the world. I started using that cane, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I'm telling you, man, I don't know how people do it without the cane. I saw the movie Ray, and Ray wasn't walking with no cane. He was using that same method. I think he was counting steps, too, Ray Charles. I'm yeah, like, he was counting, yeah. It don't work for counting. me. <laughs> oh, no, you got to have that cane. Uh, you so I started that, using yeah. that cane from then on, and Mark Maurer, the president of, at the time of the NFB of Indiana, came down and started a student division there. And I joined the organization and he started giving me the messages that, that, that were positive messages about blindness. And I started to listen and learn and want to know more about the organization. So I joined the organization and it was the most dynamic organization. It was people in there doing everything from lawyers to, to, to engineers, to, to scientists, to doing all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, I want to be like them. Yeah. You know, blindness doesn't have to be the tragedy that people say as it is. Yeah, that's good because you, you have know? to have something to inspire to, you know, aspire to just because you don't see, you know, especially back then, you don't see those images. All you see is, you know, the Ray Charles, the Stevie Wonders. Right, the, uh, right. You don't see that you could do other things. So I know exactly. when I walked off my site, it wasn't too many options. I didn't, I didn't, you know, at that time, I didn't think I had too many options because, they didn't, I didn't need <laughs> That's right. Only thing I knew about blindness Ray at that time was Mr. Magoo, and he's a bungling blind idiot on right. TV. And I thought, I don't want to be like him. And then the other thing I knew was blind people who stood on the corner and they begged, you know, yeah. for change and pencils and, and sold pencils and newspapers and stuff. And I'm thinking, my life is over as I know it. Yeah. Here I am, black and I'm blind. I better get busy. Mr. Magoo has some great cane skills, though. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> 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 he was to a construction site. <laughs> he left off. I'm like, boy, that boy got some yeah, yeah. Right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So did you ever think you would be this far along with the NFB, you know, being the uh, Indiana president and also second vice president of the NFB? I never did, Ray. And I, and I first want to say that I'm honored and privileged to, to hold those titles. But I never did. I never aspired to be that. All I wanted to be was a member. And all I did was the work of the organization at the time, helping to change what it meant to be blind here in the state of Indiana and around the country. That's all we were doing, basically. And and I was just feeling good that I was a part of something big and, some, and something different. And so um, but but my work got noticed because I was um I came into the organization. I, uh, I became a chapter president at the time. And then um, I got on the state board of directors uh, for the state of Indiana. And then uh, I became state president in 1996 to the present. So I've been state president now about 24 years. And I know my time is winding down. I, I got asked to be on the National Board of Directors at a convention in Philadelphia in 2001. And I joined the Board of Direct, the National Board of Directors then, got elected. And then I got uh, honored and elected to be second vice president uh, of the National Federation of the Blind. I was... Um, I was, uh, that happened for me in 2008 to the present. And so I've had some longevity in the organization. I literally say to people, Ray, that I grew up in the National Federation of Blind because I was 17 when I lost my sight. I was 18 when I found the Federation and I've been in ever since. So I've been in over 40 years now. Definitely great work, great work. And, you know, we're always looking for, you know, people out there to participate. You don't have to even be uh, blind to be a member of the NFB as well. So. That's right. So, exactly. So yeah, well, all you got to do is mm -hmm. Go ahead, Ron. all you got to do is know that uh, you know, we call it being blind in your heart. You know, know that you want to help further the cause of the blind in this nation and around the world and you can be a part of our organization. It's not a uh, it doesn't you don't have to have sight or you or you or you can have sight it doesn't matter so going back to you know when you was 
out there clicking your tongue, just walking without the cane. Now you're a mobility instructor uh, with your own business, cane enabled. You're teaching individuals who are blind to, you know, navigate this world without sight. So how did you get involved with that and how did that get started? Well, what happened was um, uh, it, it started, I was, um, I went through the blind, it's called the business enterprise program. I have to start there because that's another business I own, but I was working that business and it's where uh, the blind get an opportunity to, to uh, own uh, snack bars, vending uh, uh, companies and and different things like that. And, and, and um, so we get first priority in those bids in all government buildings and interstates. Uh, Indiana has the interstate program where we can operate our vending locations on the interstates and stuff. So I got involved in that pretty early. And so, um, and so I've been a blind vendor, uh, as we call ourselves, for, um, for a number of years at the time. And I was sitting down reading our national magazine called the Braille Monitor. And I was sitting at my desk reading it. And all of a sudden, this article came up that um, that was talking about a new pioneer project coming out. And they were offering a master's degree at Louisiana Tech University. And um, so I graduated from Ball State already, and I was in business working for myself almost 20 years before I found this other job. And so I was reading the article, and I, there was a phone number in there to call Dr. Ruby Riles uh, if you were interested in it. And they were looking for blind people to teach orientation and mobility to other blind people. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a novel concept, the blind leading the blind. I've always heard they all fall in a hole, you know, so, so uh, I'm, uh, I'm interested. I'm thinking, well, I get around pretty good, man. Let me try my hand at this. So I called her and believe it or not, the program hadn't really started yet. And so Dr. Riles was really interested in me. She said, do you have an undergrad degree already? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, good, good. Well, this is a master degree program. Uh, uh, can you come down here and meet with us? And I told him I, I could, but I said, well, let me tell you, I have a, I own another business now, so I really can't go off to school somewhere now. And they wasn't offering distance learning at that time. This was in 1997. And, um, and so she said, no, no, if you can come down here, we'll figure it out, you know? And, uh, and, and so literally I turned my, um, my business, my vending business over to my assistant manager and got on a plane and went to Ruston, Louisiana and uh, met with Dr. Riles and everything and talked with the people down there. And she said, well, Ron, what do you want to do with this kind of uh, this 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 degree? And I'm thinking, well, you know, uh, at the time I'm state president now here in Indiana. So I'm knowing about the blind all over our state. And I'm thinking. Gary, Indiana is an underserved population of blind people up there. They're not getting as much, you know, uh, training as other parts of our state was. I said, well, Ruby, Dr. Riles, I want to go back home. And when I get this degree and I want to train blind people in underserved areas of our state because they don't get uh, that much training at all. Some of the blind uh, at that time, Ray, was ordering meals on wheels because they was too afraid to leave the house to go out. And because they felt, one, it was too dangerous. And two, they didn't have the skills to navigate from point A to point B safely. And I said, Dr. Rouse, I want to take this degree and go back home to my underserved areas and I want to train blind people. And she was like, Right, Ron. <laughs> you know, okay, yeah, yeah, it's noble of you and all, but uh, I literally wanted to do that. That was deep in that was in, in, in my heart to do it. Yeah. And so, make a long story short, I, I ended up getting uh, all my transcripts and all my stuff straight. And literally, what I did was commuting from Indiana to Louisiana. They were on a quarter system. So I went to school. I went come home. I would work a quarter, three months. And then I would go back to Louisiana and go to school a quarter, three months. 
And I kept doing that and kept doing that. And then finally, the last six months of my degree, I stayed down there on campus and I graduated. And so I got the, the, the a master's in, in uh, psych, education psychology at the time you had to get a master's in it. And then I got the national certification in orientation and mobility. And that allowed me to teach anywhere in the country. Now, here I am, a, bl- a brand new orientation cane travel instructor who happens to be blind. Novel concept back then. The traditional field of orientation and mobility instructors was all sighted. They did not want blind people teaching blind other blind people cane travel for the fear of us all blindly the blind getting, you know, all falling in the hole and killing somebody. So I came back home. And I was already in business and I had a pretty good business and I didn't want to give it up. I said, okay, well, yeah, I'm in one business, started one business. I may as well start another one. And that's what I did. I just sent out my paperwork and all my credentials to all the VR counselors in the state. And I started uh, itinerant. I started teaching cane travel to to blind and visually impaired people that that um, that need an itinerant instruction, meaning I can go anywhere in the state, in their city, in their community, at their job site, wherever, and teach them right where they are. So talk and to the me reason about how why do you teach them, though? how do you teach a person who's blind to travel independently? Well, the reason how how I'm able to do it, right, is because. The traditional field of orientation and mobility teach from what's known as a visual paradigm. And so what they see, they teach you. So, for example, if the people in, in, in Indiana know, in, in Indianapolis in particular, know that Shailen is a very busy street to cross. If an orientation and mobility instructor that's sighted see that street and they, they may say, ah, now nah, it's too busy, I'm not going to teach you this person, my student, how to cross that. Me, I take it and say, okay, here's Shaylin. We're going to figure out how to cross this street. And then if you get to a point where you feel like it's too dangerous to cross, then we won't cross it or whatever, or we'll do something different. But what I teach from is not a visual paradigm. What I see, I teach, what I teach is from a cognitive paradigm. So we figure it out. And from that cognitive paradigm are four different uh, elements of, of, uh, of teaching cane travel, uh, elements of learning. The first uh, element of learning is experiential, getting out there, doing it. It's called structured discovery learning, basically. is how is in the first component of structured discovery learning is experiential, getting out there, figuring it out. We both getting out there, figuring out how we can cross it by, by, by utilizing our environment, by getting out there doing it. The second part of structured discovery learning is problem solving. So I'm with a student and they say, I say, Johnny, are you in the street? And they say, Ron, no, they asked me, Ron, am I in the street? And I said, are you in the street, Johnny? I don't know. That's what I'm asking you. I said, how would you know if you was in the street? So I teach them the difference between listening to sound, asphalt, and concrete. Asphalt is a softer sound than concrete. Concrete has a harder, louder pitch sound. Asphalt has a softer sound, and it's rockier uh, than, than uh, most sidewalks. So I'm teaching them the difference between listening to sounds with the cane tip. And that's problem solving, figuring it out. The third uh, uh, part of structured discovery learning is use of non-visual cues. So I'm teaching uh, my student how to use the sun in order to navigate, how to use uh, transportation patterns, how to use... um, all kinds of uh, uh, things like that, uh, asking the right questions, uh, teaching them how to use non-visual cues in order to navigate. And then the last thing, uh, part of uh, structured discovery learning is role modeling. If I can do it, you can do it. So I teach from a cognitive paradigm. And so I don't have to know where you live or what part of town you live in or anything. So I say, 
Your environment may change, but your basic cane technique should never change. What I do in Indiana, I do in New York. What I do in New York, I do in D.C. So that enables me to teach anywhere and anywhere in the world just by eliciting the right information and then teaching them the same techniques that we would normally use anywhere. Talk to me about and that. Allows me to teach anywhere in the world. Yeah. Talk to me about those different cane techniques. I know you got the touch, the you got the shoreline, you got you got various styles of techniques. So I just want to kind of highlight that's a few. Just if somebody sees someone outside walking that, you know, they know what yeah. they're doing. So when you outside walking, basically, if we're walking a straightaway down a, a, a block or something like that, I'm going to teach them the two-point tap. And that's how to stretch your cane out. It's called the open palm technique, where you lay your cane in the middle of your palm and you start navigating it and make sure your cane uh Tap, the two-point tap, make sure it clears your right shoulder when your cane is over to the right and make sure it clears your left shoulder when your cane is over to the left. And that's called an open palm technique, two-point tap. And all it does is you tap your cane. And then I want to make sure that the cane is centered in the middle of your body so you equally distribute your cane technique. And then I want to teach you how to keep that cane so low on the ground that you can pick up drop-offs or curves or cracks in the sidewalk. So you want to almost drag that cane. And, 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 though, and, that, and that way, you, when you're covering your body space, and then the arc of your cane should be very low, very low to the ground so that you can pick up things like that. If your arc is too high, you'll miss a curve or something, step right off it. People say, well, Ron, why do you all use those long white canes? Those canes that, uh, yeah. you know, the traditional field say you don't need a long cane. You need that cane to come between your, your, um, your breastbone and stuff like that. So you won't trip people. But what we say as blind instructors, you use the long cane so you can have more reaction time to stop. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I'm six, two and a half, right? And if I got a cane that's probably five nine to my breastbone, we call them sternum sticks. If I'm using a short cane like that, my long legs is going to ultimately overstep that cane if I'm walking at a pretty good clip. So when my cane drop off the side, uh, drop off a curve, it doesn't have time to give me the information that I've dropped off. You need to stop. I'm coming off that curve right behind my cane because right. it's a short cane. So while I got a long cane. I have that extra reaction time to stop. The cane is out there. It drops off. I tell my students, listen to your cane. What did your cane tell you? I said, I don't know. What did it tell me? I said, your cane dropped off. And it's saying, Ron, I have dropped off. You need to stop. And if you don't stop and listen to your cane, then you're going to come off that curve right with your cane tip. So I say, listen to your cane. It talks to you. Listen to it. Yeah. I was saying, you know, the blind can't leave the blind because, you know, we actually <laughs> see things that uh, we notice things that, you know, that sighted person may not notice. Like when I was at Purdue University, Calumet, my mentor, uh, rest his soul, uh, Pastor Daryl Robinson, you know, he showed me how yeah. to get around Purdue. Like it was little things that yeah. you know, my instructor showed me, but, you know, he really showed me some things like a garbage can could mean, the, you know, this building is right here to the right of this garbage can. Like little things like that. I mean, the that's smaller, right. You know, and you're using also, locations and you're yeah. using uh, landmarks, things like that, to, that, you know, are going to be there. You know, that garbage can might move, but there's a water fountain right there or something. You tapped on that or you hit up against, you know, that, that wow, I must be in this hallway. And all I need to do is go to the right, you know, <laughs> and then you teach shoreline and how to navigate. Uh, that's using your cane to tap it against a wall, hallway, wall, hallway, until you get to an opening and then your cane go all the way through that opening. You know that there's a doorway or a mat there or something that's letting you know that the hallway has changed. So you're trying to find intersecting hallways or sidewalks when you're using the shoreline technique or if you're following the grass or things of that nature. So there's all kind of little cues. And guess what, Ray? We teach ourselves, you know, mostly I pick it up from other blind people right? because 
You know, uh, once you've learned the basic techniques, you're going to have little things that you do that may help you navigate safely and competently. Yeah, I will tell you, like, you know, you know, it is it's cold in Gary. So I'm going to Purdue and it's cold and it got yeah. snow. So I'm walking. I'm really rushing to get to class because I don't want to be outside. And then you miss yep. your because the snow may or somebody may be walking that's in your spot. So I found yep. that I lost. Sometimes it's actually a good thing because it helps you find alternate routes to where you want to go. That's right. That's right. And all you got to do is ask to write. It it does. It gets nerve wracking and something. But you know what? I also found out that the more you do it, the more confident you become in your ability to do it. And so so you have to get out there and experience the world by getting out there doing it. Um, I also tell my students that your environment may change. Indiana, New York to Cali. And your environment may change, but your basic cane techniques should never change. Mm-hmm. What you do in Indiana, you do in New York, or you do in California. Your environment may be different, but your cane techniques should never change. Talk, talk about that real quick about the confidence. Because really, I mean, it all kind of boils down to having confidence. I mean, because some people, I mean, I used to be that same way, and I want to go out and do certain things. So, Talk to me about having that confidence allows you to travel and allows you to be able to, you know, be the state president or the vice president of NFB and just to do all these great things. 90% of what I teach is attitudinal, Ray. Changing your own intrinsic beliefs about your own ability. So what the, one of the things I learned about myself and about other blind people and about confidence building is that if you believe in yourself long enough and you believe in your ability to travel safely and competently, then you become that you believe in. In other words, you'll become a competent blind traveler. You'll become a competent blind person who may say, well, I don't know if I can be the state president. I, I may not be, I may not be the best speaker. Or I may not be the best whatever, but you start to get confidence through doing it, getting involved, playing from your strengths, learning that changing your own beliefs about blindness. And that's how we're able to navigate, to able to put forth uh, independent skills to, to, to our, to different people and, and, and to impart that to different people and to ourselves is because you train, you start to believe in yourself and you start gaining confidence in your ability. And once you gain the confidence in what you're trying to get accomplished, then it, uh, the rest of it is a piece of cake navigating it. You know, I, I can, anybody can teach you how to swing the cane from left to right. But it's building that confidence in yourself, changing the thought process. So you change the fear that you feel about navigating from point A to point B. You change that fear to a confidence. And how do you change the fear? By getting out there doing it. And the more you do it, you change the thought. And when you change the thought, you turn it into a belief. And then when you change that belief, you become that you believe in. That's correct. That's true. That's true. Before I get you mm-hmm. out of here, I have one more question for you. How does uh, technology play a role, you know, in your life and helping you with, you know, just be able to do the things that you want to do? And, you know, how does it enhance your life right now? Technology has been a godsend to blind people yes. um, but, uh, for 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 the most part. It has put us in the forefront of society where now we don't have to worry about uh being able to use a computer once you lose your vision because we have screen reading programs that talk to us now that, that read everything on the screen that we may, uh, that may show up uh, uh, in, in text. And, and so they'll read it out loud to us. Uh, we can take our phones and snap a picture of the printed page and it'll read it to us out loud. Um, you can use GPS. They got guidance uh, programs that'll help you navigate. And, and, and be confident in your travels. But I always fall back to the basics, Ray. And that is this, even if you don't have technology, because technology is man-made and it may break on you, you still have to be able to 
if that technology fails you, you still have to be able to navigate from point A to point B safely. And you also um, have to be um, know the basics, Braille. Braille is so key and it's important because people say in school when I was in there, you don't need Braille, you don't need to learn Braille because uh, we got screen reading programs that will read to you and things of that nature. But what I found out was I, I wasn't necessarily reading. I was, uh, it was, I was learning by rote memory through listening, mm -hmm. active listening to my lessons and stuff like that. But when I learned to put my fingers on that Braille and I learned to read that way, I found out two things. One, information stuck more readily because I could see what I was reading. And so it stuck. I literally saw it with my hands. And two, it taught me how to spell because one, you're listening to people on things like uh, automated speech and stuff like that. Sometimes you think uh, a thing is pronounced or, or, or wrote out one way and it's really different when you see it under your fingertips. So it teaches you how to spell. And so um, uh, I, I say fall back. The default should always be Braille. Technology is great, you know, but Braille was, is our reading medium. Um, um, GPS is great, but basic cane techniques, you should know them because if you're following a, a, like an actuated lighted intersection and it's tweeting and all of that, and, and it's letting you know you can cross the street, and it's tweeting, and then all of a sudden that technology goes out and you're in the middle of the street. Now what? You were following the sound trying to get across. Right. You have to revert back to your basic techniques of uh, listening to the cars and listening to the, you know, the, the, the traffic patterns and things like that. So you have to be able to um, to fall back on, on what you were basically uh, trained to do the foundation of blindness skills training and then technology is nothing but an enhancement yeah. to all of those things that's what make me worry about all these uh advanced what they're trying to do to the white cane they're trying to put gps mp3s and yeah. all other <laughs> things on there i'm like man this cane yeah Malfunction. I'm 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 messed up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they don't know that. If I depend on all that stuff to get around, I'm gonna be messed up. Because if, if I'm happy. Oh yeah. This is, this is oh right. yeah. So cool. Cool. Oh Once yeah. Again, well, thank you, Ron, for you know, dropping all it, that great information. I mean, you're doing a lot. Yeah. You know, for the blind community and your community at large. You know, uh, being a in NFB and just been an overall mentor. Uh, for a lot of individuals. So I want to thank you and really shedding the light on, you know, blindness and, you know, people may see you out there, but they don't know you got a whole lot going on. So I want to just <laughs> appreciate it, man. Outside looking in, you don't know, you know, until you actually get to talk to a person like yourself. So once again, thank you. And uh, if you guys want to learn more, please uh, make sure you subscribe on Google and on Apple Podcasts to the Outside Looking In show. Follow me on Twitter at RayEzel317, Instagram RayEzel317, and on Facebook at Ray Montgomery. So once again, Ron, thank you, and I'll talk to you guys. Appreciate it, my brother.